0: Mark chapter 16 verses 1 through 11. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, "Who will roll the stone away?" From the entrance of the tomb. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Kim. Man, it's always a good children's story when we get a grammar lesson in there too, isn't it? <laughs> Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we believe in you. Help our unbelief. Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, happy Easter. This, this is the best Sunday of the year. This is my favorite Sunday of the year for the simple fact that we celebrate Jesus was dead and is now alive. Um, If you ask most Christians, in fact I might ask you just in your mind, silently, uh, if I were to ask you, what is the Christian faith about? What's the core of it? What, What is it all about? What would you how would you answer? My hunch is that many of us would say something like, Jesus died for my sin. And it's not a wrong answer, that is a true answer. But it's not the whole truth. And Easter is such a wonderful holiday because we celebrate not just that Jesus died, we observe that on Good Friday, but that he rose again from the death, from the dead. And that he's coming back. He's gonna come back and take our broken world and make it whole. He's gonna fix it and make some, some unimaginably beautiful world artwork out of it. If you come from uh, historic, there are certain historic Christian traditions, they have this saying, this formulation that'll sound familiar. uh, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. So simple and so powerful. That is our faith. And this morning, we get to really just revel in the second of those points. Christ is risen. In fact, this morning, that's really that's all I'm going to tell you. I mean, I'm going I'm to talk more about it. Like, you're not going to get off that easy. Um, wow, our lunch starts early today. Uh, but everything I say this morning is meant to point you to that one simple fact Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He was dead, actually dead, and he's now alive. Actually alive. In that sense, this morning I'm gonna. um, I've been thinking about this, and and it's almost like what I'm gonna preach is more of an anti-sermon than a sermon, at least for my for my style. And those of you who know me, or if you're familiar, if you worship here, you know how I preach. I tend to be pretty logical. I know sometimes too logical and too rigid, and so I think it's just how God's made me. I think you know point A leads to B leads to C, and I want to see the connections and show how everything is moving in one direction. I try to explain things because I want to understand myself. What I've been struck by this week as I've been reading the Easter story fresh and I do this every year is actually how little I understand about the resurrection. And my hunch is that you understand very little about the resurrection. And in fact the resurrection is not something to be understood but it's something to be celebrated. So this morning, I'm not going to try to explain something to you. I'm going to almost try to unexplain it. We, we want to understand things because if we understand something, we can feel like we master them. If I understand something, I feel like I master it. This morning is not about you mastering the resurrection. It's about letting the resurrection master you. So I, I want you to leave this morning more astonished, more, maybe even confused, more baffled in a greater state of wonder at the resurrection and at Jesus than you ever have been before. I was telling Jamie about this over lunch yesterday and I was just saying, this is kind of where I think I'm going with, the, with this, where I know I'm going. And basically my point is that I don't understand the resurrection. And Elliot was eating with us and she said, well, daddy, let me tell you how it happened. <laughs> I thought, please do. <laughs> Here's the simple fact, and here's, I mean, one fact, this is why it's so baffling. One reason, basically, one reason alone. Everybody knows dead people don't come back to life. Simple, right? Dead people don't come back to life. Like, once you're dead, you're dead, it's final. And every now and then you might read a story like this makes for really great stories. It makes for really wonderful fiction if you have a story of somebody who fakes their own death. Isn't it um, uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, right? And, and one of them, I don't remember which one, fakes his own death and then crashes his own funeral. And it makes for a great story and everybody's shocked. Imagine the shock of going to somebody's funeral and then they walk down the center aisle of the church. That's, that's almost what's going on here, except Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn are fiction. <laughs> this, this is real. Imagine the shock of somebody who, you didn't just know they were, they were dead, you saw it, you were there. You watched the life seep out of their lungs like those three women did Now oftentimes we try to kind of explain it away, especially in the modern, we're moderners, we're Westerners, we, we know better. Those were, they were ancient people. They believed a lot of other superstitions and it was very easy for them to get hoodwinked. Uh, we, we know better, right? No. They, they knew better too. In all honesty, most ancient, most historic cultures know more about death than we do. We try to insulate ourselves from death. They dealt with it up close and personal on a very regular basis. They knew better, which explains the reaction both of the women and the disciples. Look just quickly at verse 10 if you have your program or your Bible open. Verse 10, Mary Magdalene, uh, Jesus, so right before this, Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene. We know that. And then verse 10, she went and told those who had been with him, his disciples, who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Why? One simple fact. Everybody knows dead people don't come back to life. It was just as unbelievable then as it is to us modern, to our modern ears now. And yet, somehow, Jesus rose from the dead. And this is not metaphor. This is not a symbol. This is, this is actual historic literal fact like we try to explain it away we say oh well that was that was a figure of speech it was metaphor almost like you know when i tell my wife like i i saw you and my heart just burst like not literally of course that would that would be a mess right we clean up on aisle four here um no my heart doesn't literally burst when i see my wife it's a figure of speech as if to say i love you very much surely the resurrection is a metaphor kind of like that right that we just look for a symbolic new life after something very difficult in our lives. Uh, Some of you from this church uh, read a book a couple years ago by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, Some of you may have read other works of hers. She's an Anglican priest. She's an author. She's an essayist. Two years ago, right before Easter, she wrote an essay in Christianity Today. Uh, Remember, two years ago, April 2020, about three weeks after uh, COVID ambushed us, She wrote this essay with this title, and this is one of the absolute best titles for an article I've ever ever read. If Easter is only a symbol, then to hell with it. Now, those of you who know about Flannery O'Connor know that she's also quoting Flannery O'Connor in that title. But in the article, she points this out. If you don't have the resurrection, if you don't have Jesus raising from the dead, like actually raising from the dead, you have at best a hollow shell that may call itself Christianity but is completely vacuous. Let me just read you one one paragraph from the article. This sums it up really well. She writes, I'm a Christian today not because it answers all my questions about the world or about current suffering. It doesn't. And not because I think it is a nice, coherent moral order by which to live my life and not because I grew up this way or have fond feelings about felt boards and hymn sings, and not because it motivates justice or helps me to know how to vote. I am a Christian because I believe in the resurrection. If it isn't true, to hell with it. You see, this actually happened, and it baffles us. Some of you, I bet, still don't believe me to which I say, I rest my case. Like, Do you see how difficult this is to actually understand? The resurrection challenges all of our presuppositions about how the world works, or at least how we think it's supposed to work. We think that's fanciful. We live in the real world. The resurrection is God declaring, no, this is the real world. It scandalizes our mind. It doesn't make sense. This is why Paul uh, writes in First Corinthians, he says the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. I've been chewing on that, that really, First Corinthians 1 and 2 is when Paul writes a lot about this and develops it. And over the past couple of years, it's coming more and more alive to me that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Why? Because God doesn't work the way this world works. God says life is found through death. That abundance is found in sacrifice. That's not how the world works, is it? That's not how our hearts are bent naturally, is it? We don't understand this. Like, not if we're being really honest. We say we do, but... And so often we insist that we have to understand God in order to follow him. What I want you to understand today is you don't have to understand Jesus to follow him. What if, what if God, uh, some of us have been watching this show, The Chosen, over the past couple, kind of month and a half, Nicodemus the Pharisee has this line. He says, what if God can't be wrapped up in a box? What if he's far bigger than any box could contain Will we still follow him? Will we still follow him? You see, Jesus isn't someone to be mastered. Rather, he is someone whom we invite to master us. And the resurrection is proof positive, central to that. We don't understand We don't have to understand him. In fact, the resurrection ought, like this ought to baffle you. You ought to be astonished at this. If you're not, you're probably not actually dealing with the resurrection. Think, just think about the event itself. Like, how did it happen? How, how, was, how was Jesus raised from the dead? Anybody? We have no idea. We don't know when it happened. The women don't know when it happened. No, none of the gospel writers tell us when this happened. The classic formulation is that he rose again on the third day, which would have been Sunday. But all the women know is that we we put his dead, stiff, lifeless corpse in a tomb on Friday, and now the tomb's empty. Was he raised right at midnight, right before, sometime in between? We don't know. And how did it? How was he raised? Did he? Did he like? just sublimate into the atmosphere or did he was it much more human maybe like did he wake up and yawn uh, stretch you know and then just kind of walk out through the stone door did he did he just dematerialize and rematerialize in heaven <laughs> like a, like a star trek right beam me up Yahweh. like what we have no idea we don't know how it happened We have no idea. The women didn't know. The angel at the door doesn't tell us. All he says is, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. He doesn't explain any more details, maybe because we actually don't need any more details. Maybe that's the key. The women didn't have to understand the resurrection to experience and believe the resurrection. Do you? They didn't have to understand. They just let themselves get lost in wonder. In verse 8, you'll notice it says they were trembling and bewildered. <laughs> lost in wonder. There's this great line in the old hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. And it ends, it says, Lost in wonder, love, and praise. You let yourself, do you ever let yourself just get lost in wonder? Or do you have to understand everything? One author, Donald Miller, once wrote that, the, he said, I think the best worship is wonder. To glory in our not knowing is to glory in our finitude and therefore in the wonder and infinite nature of God. The women felt this. They didn't understand. Trembling and bewildered. They're bewildered. They don't understand what happened. They're trembling. Notice they're not just confused intellectually, they're afraid. We know that because in in verse 7, the angel tells the women, He's not here. He's risen. Go tell the others. Very next verse, verse 8 the women didn't tell anyone. They disobeyed the angel, which seems dangerous, because why? They were afraid. There's something about this that is so wonderful, that is so over the top, that is so beyond our ability to wrap our feeble little minds around it that it almost ought to strike some measure of fear into us. The women are shaken to their core. We tend, that's natural, by the way, it's not a bad thing. Why? Because we tend to, we fear what we don't understand. has the resurrection shaken you? Maybe I would ask it this way. In modern parlance, we might ask, have you you doubted the resurrection? Now, a lot of you may think that doubt is some sort of an evil or wicked sin that is to be kept at arm's length, but in fact, I would argue, the women seem to be doubting it right here. And Jesus' disciples, we know, doubt it, because they didn't believe them. That's verse 11. And remember Thomas, oh, poor Thomas, doubting Thomas? If, if you doubt, if you question, if you wonder at the resurrection, you're actually in very good company, and I would wager you're in a better place than somebody who has no doubt whatsoever. I dare say, if you haven't doubted, if you haven't wondered, then the resurrection hasn't really sunk its teeth into you. If you haven't doubted, then either you haven't dealt with it at all, or you've just dealt with it at a very surface level. Well, of course it's true. But what are you banking on then? At best, maybe your faith is in your own faith. Maybe your faith is in the strength of your faith. I haven't questioned. I would n- I've never questioned. Really? Do you, know, do you know why it's actually okay to question and wonder and, dare I say, doubt the resurrection? Because, one, it means you're honestly dealing with it, and two, the truth of the resurrection doesn't depend on you to believe in it. Think about it this way. I'm going to use this image, and I, I think I'm not going to step on I hope I'm not going to step on any of your toes. I might, and if so... Uh, send me an email. We'll talk more about it. There, there are people, you know this, right? You've heard about, there are people who do not believe, even today, in 2022, that the earth is spherical. You heard of flat, flat earthers is a term for them, right? There are people who, who genuinely believe the earth is flat. It's not a sphere. Even, th- which, which uh, like 2022. <laughs> Does that somehow make the earth flat? No, of course not. The the, the simple fact of the matter is the earth is a sphere. We know that. Like science has demonstrated that over and over and over again. Physics defines it. The fact that certain people don't believe it doesn't make it suddenly not true. Whether or not somebody believes in a spherical earth does not change the fact that the earth is a sphere. Plain and simple. Whether or not you believe in the resurrection doesn't change the fact that Jesus was dead and is now alive. He doesn't depend on your belief. He's not hiding up in heaven, knees knocking, thinking, boy, I really hope they believe this. I don't know what I'll do if they don't. Which does a number of things. One, it ought to cultivate a sense of humility in us. But two, it actually gives us free freedom to genuinely, honestly question and even doubt what we see in the scripture because it is that wonderful. It is that baffling. It is that astonishing. You will not damage the power of the resurrection just by questioning it. You don't have that kind of power over it or over him. I hope you do have some questions. I hope you do wonder at this. And I should hasten to add I hope you don't stop there. (laughs) You have to do something with your questions, lest you let them just sit and rot over time. Would you believe that, that Jesus is strong enough and has broad enough shoulders to shoulder your very questions? that you can take your doubts about the resurrection and, and the cross and about Jesus himself straight to Jesus himself? Would you believe that you can come to Jesus and say, I don't know if I believe in you, and you won't be turned into a pile of ashes? He's God. He can take it. We need a sense of wonder at Christ. A sense of, I cannot understand this. Such things are too wonderful to be true. Dead people don't come back to life. And he did. And the more you let yourself be astonished, the more you invite Jesus to pull the scales from your eyes and to gobsmack you the, more you, the more he'll change your life. There's been a recent trend in um, certain psychological so- circles. A number of psychologists are starting to research and write about the power of awe and of wonder in our lives. Now, these are not Christian psychologists. They're secular, so they're not talking about awe or wonder specifically about God. A lot of them do mention that a sense of awe or wonder at the divine accomplishes the same things. There have been a number of articles. So earlier, I came across this article in the BBC that compiled all of this research that psychologists are doing into a sense of wonder. Several recent studies, and here's what they conclude. This is again, this is kind of a meta study. uh, Reveal that men and women who experience, who 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 even search out a sense of awe and wonder in their lives are more generous. They remember details better. They're more mindful. They're more creative, they're more compassionate and empathetic, they're more confident, they're less stressed, less anxious, and the list goes on and on and on. And that could be something, according to their research, as simple as as going to see the Northern Lights or experiencing the Grand Canyon. Why? Why is that? I mean, I think most of us can kind of intuit why that might be. You experience a sense of awe when you experience something far greater than yourself. It actually makes you feel very small. If you've been to the Grand Canyon, I haven't, but I've heard, if you've been to the Grand Canyon, you, you know what it is to be dwarfed by like literally just a hole in the ground. What's the big deal? It's a hole. But some of you have been, and, and you know what it is to say, that that's not an ordinary hole, <laughs> and you feel about that big. You see, if you don't experience a sense of awe and wonder, you become deceived into thinking that you are the biggest thing in the world. And then it's no wonder that people become less generous or less detailed or less compassionate or whatever, whatever. On the other hand, the the actual, the the smaller you perceive yourself to be in the world, the more insignificant you perceive yourself to be in the world. Not in a self-flagellating like, oh, woe is me. Not that, that's annoying, don't do that. But the, the more you have this healthy perspective that I am one very small piece of an enormous world the more freedom and joy you can arrive at in life. And that's what secular psychologists tell us. That's you you comparing yourself to the world, which is pretty amazing. Now consider, in the Psalms, the psalmist tells us that God upholds the universe with his finger. There is an incredible freedom that comes when we realize as we love to tell our teenage kids that the world does not revolve around you. And I'm not knocking on teenagers because honestly, most of us would do well to take that advice ourselves too, wouldn't we? You cannot encounter the resurrection and not be changed. You just, you can't. So I would ask you this, has has Jesus changed you? Are you open to him changing you? Like, will you invite him to change you? Or are you all set? You've gotten your fix. You went to church on Easter. You did what you were supposed to do. You know, grandma's happy now. I went to church on Easter. Now I can move on with my day. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if if you have a minute, like my... (laughs) Maybe my pastoral advice to you, go home this afternoon and read 1 Corinthians 15. It's a a long meditation on the resurrection. And Paul is one of the most brilliant thinkers in history, the Apostle Paul. But here's what he writes. This is so poignant. He says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then everything we believe as Christians is worthless. It's that central to what we believe I want to read you three verses. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ, that means died, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You see, if the resurrection isn't true, if there is not life after the death in this world, we are more to be pitied than anybody else. Jesus' resurrection is baffling, it is mind blowing, it is shocking, it violates the laws of nature, it violates the laws of everything we think we know is true in the world but for the fact that, of course, the only one who would have power over those laws is the one who made those laws in the first place. It is a cornerstone of our faith. Without it, we have nothing. I want to close with this. Uh, John Updike was a um, great novelist. Maybe some of you have read he wrote some poetry. I just found out recently he lived in Beverly Farms, Massachusetts, like an hour from here. Uh, He wrote a poem called Seven Stanzas at Easter. It's pretty short. I want to read you three of them. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence, making of the event a parable, a thing painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back. Not papier-mâché, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. Let us not make it less monstrous. For in our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Friends, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Lord, you are risen. We don't know what that means. I don't. Most of the time if we're being honest, we don't want to believe it or we forget about it and we live life in this in this petty little little human cycle without realizing that that the God of the universe broke into creation and bore all the brokenness of creation so that we might know life, so that we might be fully alive. Oh Lord, teach us what it means to be fully alive in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.